All right, well, get your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. Romans chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. And we've been talking about miracles for the last few weeks. And have you enjoyed this series? I've enjoyed teaching this series. I've enjoyed it because in order for me to speak, I have to study, obviously. And when I study, I learn a lot of stuff. And And then I try to get all that stuff in messages. And sometimes that makes messages really long. But I don't want to, I don't want to cheat you. And I feel like if I learned it, I should tell you, right? And so, um, but I've been excited as we've talked about miracles. And I, and I want to talk again today along that subject. And I really want to speak to people in here who are believing for a miracle and you haven't seen it yet. So if you're believing for a miracle and you haven't seen it yet, then I, I want to speak to you because that's really, I felt like the assignment are the direction that God has given me. And so we're going to start in Romans chapter 4. Now, we started this series with Romans chapter 4, and we talked about Abraham and how he accelerated in faith even though he hadn't seen what God had promised. And and I don't always overlap things that closely, but I felt like I needed to go back to that idea and then take it in a little bit different direction. And so Romans 4 verse 16 says this, Therefore it is of faith, that it might be according to grace. Time out. Let me help all my theologians in the room because I pastor a church and I know there are tons of theologians. I'm personally not one, but I know when you pass, you'd be surprised that when you pastor a church, how many theologians there are. And so let me just help you with deep theology. Are you ready for deep theology? Grace. You can't get deeper than the grace of God. Everything that God will ever do in your life comes by his grace. There, there's no more that you can't get deeper than that. Uh, there's a worship song that we used to sing. It says, if, if, if uh, grace is an ocean, we're all sinking because there's no limit to, to the grace of God. So, so Paul's helping us with that. He was a grace preacher. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. And, and by the way, that's talking about us. Not only those who are of the law, but also those who are the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all? As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. That's a quote from God in the Old Testament. In the presence of him whom he believed. Now, time out, because this to me is one of the greatest descriptions of God in the Bible. What I'm about to read, all right? It is to me by far the greatest description of God in the Bible. And and Abraham gives it to, or sorry, Paul gives it to us in talking about Abraham. It says that, that Abraham believed God, now watch this, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Do you understand? That is the God that we serve. That is the best description I've ever heard. That, that we serve a God who can bring dead things back to life. No other God can do that, by the way. No other God has done that. And we're on this side of the cross and Paul's like, not only is this a theoretical idea, but we have an empty tomb that tells us that our God truly does bring dead things back to life and he calls things that aren't as though they are. He says to things that don't exist, he speaks to them and they exist. And this is in the context of Abraham because he's going to talk about the deadness of Abraham's body and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet God still spoke life into death and brought about a child that had not existed. This is only good news if you've got dead things in your life that you want to live. It's only good news if you have some things that God has spoken that you haven't seen. 
God who gives life to the dead and calls things as, that aren't as though they are. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. In other words, when there was no reason to hope, Abraham chose to hope. Did you know you can choose to hope? Contrary to hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. I love verse 19 we talked about. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. I just want you to know if you're about 100 years old, don't consider yourself dead. (laughs) And the deadness of Sarah's womb. So if you're under 100, there's no excuse for calling your own end. (laughs) That's a good word for somebody. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, verse 20, and we talked about verse 20. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it is accounted to him as righteousness. I love this text, and I love it because it's talking about Abraham, and Abraham is called the father of faith, and we, we talked about this. He's, he's the father of faith, and what does that mean? He's kind of the origin. He's the example. If you want to know what faith looks like, then we can look to Abraham. And we talked about he, he should be the father of faith because Abraham accelerated in faith when he hadn't seen what God had promised. And, and that's kind of the... the The context that I want to use today, if you will, is that Abraham is the father. He's the example of our faith. And most people, if you would say, man, who has great faith? You'd say, Abraham has great faith, right? But here's what I want you to hear. Abraham's great faith did not produce an instantaneous miracle. He walked a 25-year process of believing for a miracle. And that's really what I want to talk about today. I called this message Believing for a Miracle. And if you're believing for a miracle, then I think Abraham is a great example. And sometimes we miss the fact that Abraham walked a process and in 25 years of not seeing God do what God said he was going to do, Abraham wasn't weakened in faith, but his faith actually accelerated. And to me, that's why Abraham's the father of faith. He's not the father of faith because he believed God and got a son. He's the father of faith because he could believe God for 25 years and his faith accelerated and didn't weaken. That's why he's an example of faith. Many times we struggle and if God tells us something on Sunday and we haven't seen it on Monday, we feel like God doesn't know our name and he's not real and we actually shrink back from God. But I think, I think the reason Abraham is an example of faith and the father of faith is because in 25 years of month after month disappointment of believing for a child, the Bible says he gave glory to God and was strengthened in faith for 25 years in the process of believing for something impossible. And so I want to talk about how he did this. And and I'll just tell you, I don't have like 10 steps to get your miracle. I need to tell you something just so you understand. God doesn't work through formula. The Bible is not a book of incantations and potions and special words to say to get what you want from God. God foundationally and ultimately only works through relationship. And the way that you're going to get your miracle is very different than the way someone else is going to get theirs. The timing won't be the same. Do you understand? I think Jesus healed like five blind men. He never did it the same way. Right? And what do we do? It's like the first time we find something that works, it's like we'll do this every time. Like if we'd have spit on a blind man like he did and healed him, then we'd just be spitting on everybody. 
Because that's what the church does. We create formulas out of stuff that God's done. When God doesn't work through formula, he works through relationship. The reason Abraham got a, got a, oh, this is so good. The reason Abraham got his miracle is because Abraham pressed into relationship instead of fi- trying to find spiritual formula. And so I can give you two things. They are very elementary. And when, when I talk about these two things, you're going to laugh because to me, they're so simple. But I'll give you two things if you're believing for a miracle. I took this text apart, by the way. I, you know, they taught us how to do this in Bible school. You exegete uh, a passage of scripture. And so you take it apart and you do it word by word and you look at themes and, and you look in the original language and you take it phrase by phrase and, and you find Jesus in each phrase. And, and, and I did all of that and that got really messy. And so then I looked at it once I had it all taken apart and then I put it all back together and I looked at it again and I came to two things that Abraham did. Just two basic things that Abraham did. Here's the first one. Are you ready? It is so very deep. Amen. He believed God. <laughs> um, he, he believed God. We read it in verse 17 of Romans 4. It says, as it's written, he has made you a father of many nations. And it says, he is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. In whom he believed. And what do you believe about God? That God gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. In whom he believed. He, he believed God. Let me, let me, can I give you an easier and more simple way? Because I'm not that smart, so I need simple things. Let me tell you what Abraham did. He believed God about God. He didn't believe Sarah about God. He didn't believe Abraham about God. He didn't believe his experience about God. He didn't believe his circumstances about God. He let God define God. People say, well, pastor, why do you believe that God heals? Because God says he does. Now, I, I'm a symbol man, so I'm not a theologian. I'm not as smart as some people. I, I can't figure everything out that everybody else can figure out, but... Sometimes I want to make sure I'm not too smart to press into what God has for me. And so I just want to believe God about God. The Bible always interprets itself. God always explains himself. And I just want to believe God about God. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He just believed God about God. And God said, this is who I am. And Abraham said, okay. And God said, and and here's this, part of believing God about God is believing that God can do and will do what God says he can and will do. And so Abraham said, God says he's God, and God says that he makes dead things live, and, and, and he brings the dead back to life, and, and, and God says that he calls things that don't exist as though they do. And, and I'm just going to believe that. See, to believe God is to believe in the ability in which God says that he has. Now, let me, let me just pause. This sounds very simple and then enter your experience. Is that real enough? Like this preaches really well, but now let's put it in the context of your life. And that's why Abraham in hope, or without hope, in hope believed. Right? Because you can look at your life and not have hope. Or you can choose to hope in God. You can choose to believe in him and you can choose to believe in what and who God says that he is. Are you with me? Are you breathing? Punch your neighbor if they're asleep. 
And I love, I love Abraham because his faith didn't produce immediate results. And that's why, like I said, I think that he's the father of faith. And what qualifies him to be the father of faith is because his faith didn't produce an instant miracle. His faith produced a 25-year process of trusting God for a miracle. And sometimes we have to understand that, that I, I guess my concern is in a church today that a lot of the church doesn't believe in healing. And there again, I, I, I'm very simple. So I believe in healing because God says he heals. And I don't try to figure out, well, why does God heal sometimes and not heal other times? And see, I don't ask questions that God's not going to answer. Because God didn't ask me to analyze his works. He asked me to believe in him. And, And so I understand we all have our experiences. But Abraham didn't look at his month-by-month experience and let that frame God. He just let God frame God. And he walked a process. And the process, I think, is interesting because, and I think it's important because the first thing, God is known in the process. Abraham didn't know God when God spoke to him. He'd never heard God before. He didn't go to church. didn't have a Bible. He didn't sing worship songs. God just appeared to him. And God appeared to him, and God said, I'm going to do a miracle. Follow me. And Abraham rose and followed him. And that initiated a process by which Abraham came to know God. So God's known in the process. Abraham saw God as all sufficient El Shaddai. He saw God as Jehovah Jireh. He saw God as a covenant making God and a covenant keeping God. He saw God as the author of his identity. All those things. I could show you all those different revelations that Abraham has in this process of seeking God while he's seeking his miracle. And so Abraham, in the process, didn't shrink back in faith, but gave glory to God. He kept pressing into God because God is known in the process. And that's good. Let me tell you what else is good. Faith is matured in the process. Did you hear what I said? Faith is matured in the process. In fact, we can read again Romans 4, 18 and 19. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And he became the father of many nations. Just as been said, so shall your offspring be. And then verse 8, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. And can I just tell you this? Because I've heard a lot of people say, well, you can't get healed if you, if you acknowledge the facts. You can't say the doctor's report. You can't use the name that they use. You can't say cancer. You can't say, because once you do it, you've confessed it. Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Faith doesn't disregard fact. It just trumps it. Since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb, verse 20, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God. His faith was matured in the process. His faith was built in the process because faith for him became an everyday decision. He had to maintain his faith. Do you know you have to maintain your faith? Do you know you have to contend for your faith? How did he contend for his faith? He gave glory to God. He didn't ask God. He didn't question God. He didn't ask why. He just gave glory to God. He maintained his faith He maintained his faith every day, and his faith was strengthened. Um, James 1, verse 3 and 4 tells us something that sometimes we don't like. Because it's that verse, you know, count it all joy. 
That's verse two. Count it all joy when, you, when, when stuff happens. How many know in life stuff happens? Right? Has anybody dealt with any stuff lately? And so I, James says, count it all joy. And I think James is on crack when he said that. I don't, he's still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> but then it says, verse three, for you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Do you see what James says? You, and, and think about the context of Abraham. When your faith is tested, your stamina increases. That's the way it's supposed to work. Your endurance grows so that you can be mature. Now we're talking about the father of faith. How did he become the father of faith? He reached a level of maturity. Why? Because he had the stamina. Why? Because his faith was tested. If you're going to reach maturity, your faith's going to have to be tested. I just kind of wait on you to let it sink in there. Because we all say, oh, I want to grow in God. Okay, your faith. Listen to me. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And if you're going to win, you've got to be able to trust your faith. And the only way for you to be able to trust your faith is for God to test your faith. <laughs> um, <clears throat> our relationship with God exists in the tension of two ideas, mystery and revelation. Let me say it. What we don't know and what God has shown us. Mystery and revelation. And those things always seem to come back into balance. They get out of balance, they come back into balance. Let me say what I mean. God increases revelation, and then all of a sudden, it increases more mystery. Have you ever found out something about God, only to figure out now there's something else you don't know about him? Like, or God moved in your life, but the moving in your life created more mystery even still. And it also works the other way. Something happens, and now there's something I don't understand. Then God moves with revelation or responds with revelation, and it brings it back into balance. But here's what you need to know. You can't live a life of faith without mystery. And I would say mystery is just as valuable as revelation. Mystery, look, okay, hang on. I'm going to hit you with something right here. Revelation is where faith was. Mystery is where faith is. Revelation is where I saw God. That's where faith was experienced. That's, that's where faith brought a revelation to my heart. Mystery is where faith is currently operating. Because faith doesn't operate in revelation. Faith operates in mystery. Because revelation is what I know. Mystery is what I don't understand. And faith only operates when you don't understand. Oh, I want to live by faith. Are you ready to live in a place that you don't understand? Are you ready for God to promise you a child and take 25 years for the stork to find you? Oh, I want to know God, really, because it's going to take some mystery. And mystery is not comfortable. Does anybody mystery just kind of rub you the wrong way? Oh. Like, God, if you were really God, you'd just give me a manual, not the Bible, but do this, do this, do this, do this. Because what the Bible, you know what the Bible does? You know what it creates? Mystery and revelation. <laughs> and so I think mystery is just as important as revelation. Listen, faith is not believing, for God, believing God for something today and getting it tomorrow. 
Faith is believing God when I don't understand. That's what, that's what faith is. Faith is believing God when I don't understand. Anyone can believe God when they do understand. If God came to you and said, here's the reason this is going on in your life, and on this date, I'm going to change this thing, and this is going to happen, there would be no faith. Um, it's actually the mystery that matures our faith. I, you know, being a pastor is sometimes hard, because being a pastor, um, you... you uh, well, simply put, we, we, we coin phrases that are dumb. And, and here's why we do that. Because people ask us questions we can't answer. And, and so, you know, a little one passes away and it's like, well, God needed another angel in heaven. No, he didn't. That's stupid. Let's just be honest. That's, that's, that's a dumb thing to say. Well, when God closes the door, he opens the window. That's not the Bible. That's dumb. I'm going to throw you out the window. But, but, what happens, but what happens is people ask us questions that God is not answering and they want an answer and pastors feel the pressure to answer a question that God's not answering. And when you do that, you actually create a clone. In my life, I stopped asking why for two reasons. Number one, I believe asking why erodes your faith. I don't think Abraham spent 25 years asking, why not yet God? The other reason I stopped asking why is because God didn't ever seem to answer it. (laughs) Right? So why would I engage in a question that's going to erode my faith that I know I'll never get an answer for. (laughs) So I just want to believe God in the simplicity of that faith and to say, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to believe. There's mystery, but mystery can mature my faith. I'll see you in the process. My faith will be matured in the process. Well, pastor, you're saying God doesn't do instant miracles. No, no, no. We've seen them in this church. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if the miracle is an instant, it doesn't mean it's not on its way. And if we disengage from God because it wasn't instant, I wonder how many miracles have been aborted because when God didn't answer immediately, we pulled back away from God and we didn't know him and our faith wasn't matured. And so we weren't able to receive what God had planned for us. So Abraham believed God. Here, I've got another deep point for you. Are you ready? That was a deep point, was it? Abraham believed God. It's deep. I'll give you another deep point. Abraham believed God's word. I grew up around southern fried preachers. If you grew up in this area, you know what I'm talking about. And I, had, I heard a southern fried preacher say one time, Abraham believed the word of God and he believed the God of the word. Pretty much my whole sermon today. (laughs) He believed God, but he also he also believed God's word. Um, Abraham believed that God would do what he said, and the proof of it is his obedience to it. Do you know how you see faith? You're not going to like this. You see faith in obedience. 
and in particularly in obedience when you don't understand. That's what it's like to honor the Word of God. Um, in Mark 6, there's this interesting story. In fact, it's in, I think, three of the Gospels, this idea. But in Mark 6, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. And they said, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this in which it is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Man, church is going good. And then verse three. (laughs) Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Isn't that crazy? They went from being astonished to being offended in one verse. This is what it's like to be a senior pastor. And it helps me because Jesus dealt with the same thing. They were astonished and then somebody said, wait a minute. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Well, now I'm ticked off. Who does he think he is? (laughs) Verse four, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and among his own relatives and in his own house. Verse five, though, look at this because it all is important. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. First of all, before I get into what I'm actually going to talk about, I just think it's cool that it says he couldn't do any mighty works. He just laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. <laughs> on Jesus' bad day, he had a healing service. <laughs> I just like that. <laughs> but so here, here's, here's, here's the text. Here's the point. He, he, couldn't do any mighty, he couldn't do any mighty works. This is God in the flesh. The man who, lays, who raised Lazarus, who, who raised Jairus' daughter, healed the blind. He, the one with the issue of blood was healed and Jesus didn't even know it until after the fact. And he couldn't do any mighty works. And I think if we're believing for a miracle, we might want to ask, well, what limited the God of creation? What limits a limitless God? (laughs) We do. (laughs) He couldn't do any mighty works. And then we ask ourselves, well, why couldn't he do any mighty works? And Jesus answers, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. Jesus says there is a correlation between honor and the miraculous. 
Do you know why here we decide to celebrate if God heals a headache? Because if we can't honor the simple works of God, we'll never see the great works of God. And by the way, if you have the migraines, that's not simple. Last week, a lady was healed nerve damage in the service. There was a word given, she was healed. Why do we honor that? Because we want to see lame legs walk. And there's a correlation between honor and the miraculous. He couldn't do any mighty works. Why? Because they didn't, they didn't honor him. Why didn't they honor him? Well, verse tells us because they were familiar. Familiarity works against honor. Um, one of the reasons why I didn't really ever think I would plant a church in this area is because I grew up in this area. And there are people that will never come to this church because they think they know who I am. Or they knew my granddad or they knew my mom and dad. And they'll never give this church a try no matter what they hear about it because like, well, we know him. I grew up with him. You know what honor does? Honor, honor, <laughs> honor celebrates and values the God in a person without stumbling over the flesh that it's wrapped in. If you receive a prophet in the name of the prophet, you receive the prophet's reward. The only way to get out of the prophet what God put in the prophet is to receive the prophet as though God's put something in him and not stumble over the package that it's wrapped in. Do you know why people have come up to me with what I'm dealing with physically? They've come up and, and just all types of different people. That, some people I don't even know. I don't even know if they're saved. But they're like, can I pray for you? Do you know why I say, yes, pray for me? Because I'm not going to trip over what I'm looking at because I have no idea what God has placed in them. And so we have to understand sometimes familiarity breeds contempt and sometimes familiarity works against honor. They were astonished. And then someone said, wait a second. And that's Mary and Joseph's boy. <laughs> Let me go a little bit deeper. Jesus was the reality of God in flesh. Can we agree with that? Let me say it a different way. He was the Word of God in flesh. John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning. Then it goes on to say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's verse 14. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word. That, that's going to be capitalized in your Bible. The reason it's capitalized is because it's not talking about words on a page. It's talking about the Word made flesh. It's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning. We beheld His glory, right? And the Word became flesh. And the Word became flesh. He couldn't do any miracles because they didn't honor. They didn't honor because they were familiar Let me say it another way that will bring it to our context today. He couldn't do miracles because they didn't honor the word of God. I just let it sink in. I had all week to think about it. You had three seconds. Who's Jesus? He's the word. He's the word made flesh. 
He couldn't do any miracles. Why? There was not honor. What were they not honoring? They were not honoring the Word of God, the reality of God in the flesh. We live in a culture where we don't honor words. When was the last time somebody told you they were going to be there at a certain time and didn't show up? When was the last time someone committed to do something and didn't show up? People throw out words flippantly. They put them on Facebook. They use really, really strong words when they shouldn't be used at all. Make harsh accusations, bear false witness. We live in a culture that's not taught to honor words because words can be flippantly thrown around. And yet we see here a correlation between honoring the reality of God in flesh, the word of God, and the miraculous. Hebrews 4 says something interesting. Hebrews 4 verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. And you can read the rest, but I'm going to stop at that first phrase. Abraham received a miracle because he honored the word of God. And the reason he honored the word of God is he wasn't familiar with it. Let he who has ears. He wasn't familiar with it because uh, he'd never heard it before. We live in a world where we have Bibles everywhere on every device. And I think that's a good thing. But it also makes it a familiar thing. Because Jesus was the Word, but the Word was God's reality in flesh. And if we're not careful, we'll think the Bible is a book instead of understanding, according to this verse, it contains words that are still alive. It's not a book, it's a revelation of reality that is aimed at your soul. My God, that's good, friend. Let me help you. You don't get that everywhere because I've never heard that in my life before. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? See, we call it a holy, holy Bible and it's bound in two pieces or one big piece of letter and we say, yep, this is the Bible and this is an ancient archive of things that God has said. But according to Hebrews 4.12, no, this is a container of the reality of God expressed in words and these words still have a heartbeat and they still have breath and they're still alive and God aimed them at your life. It's alive. The word of God is alive. That's why when Isaiah says in chapter 55, verse 11, that God's word cannot return to him void, but it will accomplish the thing he sent it to do. It's because God speaks a language of reality. And when he releases a word, it's not a symbol. It's not ink. It's not on a page. It's God's reality that he breathed out of the power of his spirit and out of the power of his breath. And it has no choice but to accomplish the thing he sent it for. And everything in your Bible. God breathed it. He spoke it. It has his spirit. It has his life. It's still alive. If we would honor it, we would see the benefit of it. God, that's good. You understand when Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is a living, alive and powerful. Do you know, do you know another, do you know how that phrase could be just as easily translated? The word of God is alive and can bring itself into being. 
When the angel talks to Mary and says, you know, you're going you're to have a child. And Mary says, well, how can this be? I don't know a man. And she said, you don't need a man. You need a word. He came to preach today, about to preach the paint off the walls. We're going to repaint this week. Well, how can this be? I don't have naturally what I would need to have. You don't need something natural. You need the word of God. People think Peter got out of the boat to walk on the water. He wasn't walking on the water. He said, Jesus, if you command me to come, I'll come. And Jesus said, come. He stepped out of the boat and stepped right on a word from God and started walking on a word from God, which trumped the reality of the water beneath his feet. Mary said, how can this be? I don't know a man. And she said, you don't need a man, you need a word. And this is what the angel said. If you, inter- if you take it all apart, this is what it says. Every word from God has the power to fulfill itself. If you honor it, God has a part. We have part. You can read the Bible like it's an archive, or you can read it like it's the living expression of the reality of God. <clears throat> the reason Abraham got a miracle is, is because Abraham... <laughs> honored the word of God and honor looks like obedience the same way faith does let me read you another scripture Hebrews 4 verse 2 (laughs) this is good are you okay all right Hebrews 4 verse 2 it says for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them so the gospel was preached to two groups of people do we see that but the word which they heard now it's the same word we heard that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying They heard the same word as us, but the word they heard didn't profit them. Well, we would need to know how two people could hear the same word and it worked for somebody and not for the other. And he tells us they didn't mix it with faith. They didn't honor it. They didn't respond to it. They didn't see it as reality. They saw it as suggestion. (laughs) And because they didn't mix it with faith, it didn't benefit them at all. I've been a pastor a long time, and I've seen the Word of God benefit a lot of people, and I've seen it not benefit a lot of people, and I can tell you this is still the reason. People mix it with faith or they don't. They honor it. When you honor it, you do it. You obey it. You mix it with faith. Well, I want to honor God. I want to see God bless my finances. Honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruit of all your increase. And so shall your barns be filled. To ask God to do, to bless something in a different way than he's asked us to do it is not honor. At the very least, it is dishonor. How are you doing? Y'all need a minute to breathe? Because I got just a little bit more. Can you, can you handle it? See? Abraham profited. He benefited from the word of God because it wasn't familiar. 
but it was alive. And I think Abraham, oh, okay. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Let's, let's do this and then I'll be done. Okay. Are you okay? Romans 10, 9 and 10. A lot of people call it the two hinges of faith. You'll see why. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All right. So there's a confession and a belief. There's a mouth and there's a heart. There's the two hinges. Do you see that? All right. Verse 10 tells us something. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Time out. Let's leave that verse up here. Let's look at these two things and see if you don't think they're saying the same thing. If, if I believe and I'm made righteous, do I need to be saved? Do I need salvation at that point? Isn't that what salvation does, makes me righteous? So does it seem a little bit redundant? Well, I believe and I'm made right with God. Then I confess and I'm saved. Wait a second. Those are the same thing, right? Not exactly. Here's what he's saying. For with the, with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. That means I made this a state of being right with God. That's faith in my heart, right? But then he says, and with the mouth, confession. That word confession is homologio. Uh, most people understand homo. That means to be the same, right? Logio is word. Um, and then the word salvation is not the word that sometimes is used in this context for salvation, which would be so-so, and that would be total salvation or retor- restored to complete design and intent of God. It'd be the total restoration of your being. This word actually means deliverance. So what's he saying? Well, you believe and you're made righteous, right? And then he says this, but when you say the same thing God says, you're delivered. Now, you got to believe first before you say what he says. Because I've met a lot of people that they agree with the word of God and it's a mental ascent. And so they just keep saying, well, I'm blessed. How the favor? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And I'm healed. And I'm whole. And I'm... Okay, well, that's good. But it doesn't work till it's in here. They believe in their... They believe in their... Here's what he's saying. When you honor the word and believe it in your heart, then you can say the same thing God said and see your deliverance. See, I don't think Abraham was just strolling through the the wilderness for 25 years. I think when God spoke, Abraham took it into his heart. He didn't look at conditions. He didn't look at comfort. He didn't grow complacent. He just took it into his heart. God's going to give me a son. And then I think because it was in his heart and he believed it, he had believed and it was accounted on him for his righteousness. He believed in his heart. You know what I think he was doing for 25 years walking through the wilderness? God's going to give me a son. God's going to give me a son. Every month when Sarah wasn't pregnant, you know what I think Abraham said? God's going to give us a son. God said he was going to give us a son. It wasn't a spiritual formula of happy things to say. It was a deep conviction of his heart. And from that conviction, he said the same thing God said. God's going to give me a son. God is going to give me a son. I'm not saying something hoping it's going to happen. I'm convinced in my heart it's the reality of God that has been spoken. And if God has spoken it into reality, I'm going to see it. And I'm going to keep saying God's word over me until I see God's reality in me. God's going to give me a son. What did Abraham do? He believed what God said about God. Now, don't leave here and make it complicated. 
I know church people, they go to brunch and they take the sermon apart and try to understand and just, he believed God about God. He believed God about God. And in the process of time, he pressed into God when he didn't see what God said. He believed what God said about God, and then he believed what God said to him. And he honored it as a living reality that was spoken from the presence of God. And he said what God said till he saw what God saw. <laughs> Are you believing for a miracle? <laughs> then believe God is who he says he is. In spite of anything that you see. And understand that just because it wasn't instant doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And let your faith be strengthened day by day instead of weakened day by day. And then honor the word God has spoken. Do you understand when the Bible says by his stripes you were healed? That is not an archived expression from a God who wants healed, but that is a living, living, breathing reality of his word that is aimed at your body. When he says, beloved, I wish above all you would prosper and be in health, that's not ancient archives. It's living reality that is aimed at your life. Believe what he says and then say what he says until you see what he sees. Will you stand? I think that's all I got. Can you give God praise for his word?